Baptist Church. Um, exciting day. We have a baptism this morning, which is always a great day to be at church when you get to see someone uh, express their faith in Jesus through baptism. So we are excited about that. Um, just a few announcements, and then we're going to have a, a, a scripture reading. Just a reminder that this Tuesday, we'll start back our Tuesday fellowship lunches. And so those are at uh, 12 o'clock on Tuesdays in the fellowship hall. So if you've got nothing going on, you want to enjoy a good meal, uh, come on over to the fellowship hall, bring a covered dish, and we'll enjoy a meal together. That's every Tuesday uh, starting at noon um, this Tuesday. Also, a children's ministry update. Um, we're going to be starting back Sunday night children's ministry on June 6th. That's the next Sunday. Um, there's going to be several dates that we have throughout the, the summer that we won't have anything because of events or Fourth of July is on a Sunday, those kind of things. But every Sunday that everybody else meets, the children will have something going on. And that begins this Sunday, and I think this next Sunday, and I think there's going to be a water slide. Uh, it may be a cold water slide with the way the weather's looking, but the kids won't care. And uh, so y'all come on out, bring your kids, go to, uh, go to one of the other ministries, and then bring your kids, and they'll have a great time and learn. Um, as well. So I, I know that's going to be exciting. That's going to be at six o'clock on Sunday nights. Um, just a reminder of the fo- uh, softball fundraiser on June 13th. Uh, anybody who may want to play or just come and watch, um, we invite you to do that. We'll have hamburgers and hot dogs and those kind of things. Um, you just make a donation to camp and come hang out with us and enjoy fellowship together and watch us embarrass ourselves as we try to play softball. So um, that's always a good time, dinner and a show. So that's uh, June 13th. Um, it's going to be from about 3 to 8. You don't have to stay the whole time, obviously, but uh, come out and en- enjoy that time with us. Um, children's camp is happening uh, June 13th through the 15th for girls and 15th through the 17th for boys at Rockridge. Um, and there's still time to sign up. So if you want to sign up, please let Erica or myself know. We'll get you pointed in the right direction for that. That's for kids ages 4th through 6th grade. Um, VBS, uh, June 26th. It's a one-day VBS. Everything fun about VBS jammed into one day. So it's going to be an exciting day of lessons and crafts and games and all that fun stuff. There will be food and all those kind of things. So we're really looking forward to that on June 26th. There's a sign-up sheet for volunteers in the back. Please volunteer. We love volunteers, and uh, it's, it's always a fun time. I always enjoy it as well. And then summer camp for students is July 19th through the 23rd at Laguna Beach. And so it, we, we, if you haven't signed up for that, if you know of a 6th a through 12th grader who's interested in going to camp, um, you can let me know. There's a sign-up sheet for that in the back as well. So all that to say, those announcements are also in the newsletter. If you, have, if you don't get the newsletter and you want it, you can give uh, Neil your email. You can get that weekly along with his notes, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on all of those things. So as we begin, I'm going to ask Jeff Rude to come forward. He's going to read our call to worship and pray for us before we have our baptism this morning. Good morning. God is good. Amen. All right, so we're going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Neil gave me a long one again. He never gives me Jesus wept. I'm waiting for that one. Maybe one day he will. All right, starting with verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear them, their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But, a, uh, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what, for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to faith in the, been put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you. Time and time again, I've, I've saw this in, in your word that you're an awesome God and you, you are an awesome God. That You just love us so much. You, you, you go through so much, but you know, even when we have hard times, you're there with us. We thank you for all the many blessings. We thank you for your word. We thank you for people such as Neil who come up here every Sunday and, and just build us up through your word. We just pray you go with each and every one of us this week. Let us take the message we're going to hear today home with us. Let us share it to a lost world. We just thank you and praise you. Most of all, I just personally want to thank you for my salvation that was bought by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's his name that I pray. Amen. Savior, and today he has the joy of testifying to that and confessing that and, and reenacting the gospel through the ordinance of baptism. When we are placed in the water and lifted up, uh, that reenacts what Christ has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that is the source and the essence of our salvation. And then we walk in newness of life. So I do want to introduce Ian's family. Good morning. If you'll stand this morning, I am going to tell y'all this morning at um, nine, Ian chose to sing the Psalm uh, Psalm 46 by Shane and Shane, and it goes straight through Psalm 46. And it says, Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battles or where else would we go but with the Lord of hosts. And um, my favorite part of that whole song is it says, Oh, Lord, you know the hearts of men, and still you let them live. Oh, God, who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. And he sang every word clear. And um, when he was wanting to sing, you know, his aunt was saying, Well, that's a lot of words. And he was like, It's 500 and something words, but I know all 537. She was like, okay, and he was really going to sing it. Well, we had a family visiting us at 9 o'clock, and, and the gentleman came up to me afterwards, and he said, that little boy was incredible. And I said, wasn't that good? I said, he picked that song, and he said, I wish I would have understood then what the Lord of hosts was. And I thought, God, that was worth sharing. So with that, we're going to start worship this morning with singing For the Beauty of the Earth. Oh, 
continue to prepare our hearts for worship with singing sanctuary this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for just allowing us to enter into your house this morning, God, to just fellowship with fellow believers and to worship you, God, Lord, um, our only Lord of hosts, God. Lord, thank you for knowing our heart, yet letting us live, God, and thank you for being a God who wants to come not only wrestle for us, but win, God. Lord, that's powerful, God. Lord, I thank you so much for the baptism this morning. I thank you for Ian, God. And I thank you for that reminder that we are all to be like children, Lord, in eagerness to listen and to learn, God. Lord, um, just to be so excited for you, God. Lord, may we have Ian's excitement this morning, God. Lord, bless his family and continue to just allow this church to raise him up in the way in which he goes, God. And Lord, just as we um, congratulated a large group of seniors Last week, God, Lord, may we continue to focus on our children and youth, God, for they are our futures of tomorrow, God. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've done in this um, past school year. I thank you so much, God, that we were able to finish in person with our students and see them off to the summer, God. And Lord, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the time we've had in Luke. And I pray that this morning you continue to teach us through Luke's gospel, God, as we're just reminded of your great grace, God, that's immeasurable. Lord, will you just bless us during this time of study. Lord, have your way. May you um, just speak clearly through Pastor Neil, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7 as our children leave for children's ministry. We're grateful for our volunteers who... Every week, serve sharing Christ with our little ones. <clears throat> I, too, reiterate what a joy it is to have a baptism this morning. Ian, we love you. We're grateful for you. <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. We are working and moving verse by verse through Luke's gospel. And this week, I love how Luke has arranged the material and the Holy Spirit through him because today we have an illustration and a demonstration of what we were learning last week as we compared and contrasted the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus. How many of you were here last week? I'm not taking X role or attendance, but you remember we were talking about funerals and weddings. And Jesus illustrated that the children in the marketplace would play the funeral song, but no one would, would mourn. Then they would play the wedding song, and no one would dance. And so we pointed out that John the Baptist and his call to repentance was a call for us to respond to the message with weeping over the guilt of our sin. The law reveals our sinfulness and drives us to Christ and we must be willing to go to the funeral of self, self-righteousness, self-salvation, weeping over the guilt of our sin as he prepared the way for the Savior, Jesus spoke of the wedding 
And in response to the good news of Christ, we dance over the joy of forgiveness and grace. All I'm going to say about funerals and weddings in preparation for today's message is that before you can really have a wedding and a marriage, you've got to have two good funerals. (laughs) You ever heard that? So with every wedding ceremony, you have two funerals and a wedding. Two people there who are dying to self and uniting to one another in love. We're going to see a woman in Luke chapter 7 who does that. She weeps over her sinfulness and her guilt and her shame. Then she finds the joy of love and grace from Christ. So to me, we see in her what we should see in all of us. First a funeral and then a wedding. So connecting those thoughts from last week, let's pick up with Luke Chapter 7, verse 36. And for many of you, this may be a familiar, a familiar story. Now, Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, Luke wants us to notice this and see this. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. Then Jesus, in the midst of this story, gives us a parable that helps us understand what has happened in the gospel. Jesus says to Simon, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which would be, a denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage. The other 50. So just to give us a sense of how we would feel in this particular circumstance, imagine 500 days worth of pay. That's a lot of money. You work 500 days and don't get paid? (laughs) Somebody's going to have a conversation, right? So this is a large sum of money in this particular context. So he gives a very large sum and then a relatively smaller sum, which was 50 there in verse 41. But notice this in verse 42. They were both unable to repay. They could not pay it. It was a huge debt that neither one of them could pay. He graciously forgave them both. Now, which one of them, therefore, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose, you know, I kind of want to read into this my own tone with Simon the Pharisee. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, isn't that interesting? He turns toward her, but says to Simon. It's almost as if he's talking to Simon through his glance and his gaze at her. Do you see this woman? You really see her? And that's Simon's problem. He he doesn't see. He's blind to several different things. And we'll touch on that as as we come back to it. Do you see this woman? I entered your house You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. So notice the comparison and the contrast. You did not, but she... You did not, but she. Simon did not even do what was customary 
in that particular time and place in welcoming a guest into his home. She, of course, went beyond that. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this? And we're in a long section in which Luke has really wanted to point out to us who Christ is. His identity, his person, his work. Who is this who even forgives sins? He's much more than a prophet, is he not? So Jesus said to the woman, this is such a a strong, important, heavy statement. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, thank you so much for your grace, which allows us to be here, to worship together, to sing together, to pray to you, to uh, celebrate the ordinance of baptism and what you're doing in, in young Ian's life. So much grace. Lord, as for the beauty of the earth, reminds us there's so much common grace. It's life and beauty and wonder and relationships and friendships. For all that we praise you, but even more for the love which drew salvation's plan and and, and the grace that, that brought it down to man. Father, we are so grateful for the specific grace of the forgiveness we have in Christ. Increase our love and our service and our joy and our wonder today by allowing us to enter into this particular scene in the New Testament and and learn again how grateful and joyful we should be and how loving we should be toward you and others because of what you've done for us through your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about grace today because I think that's at the heart of this story of this sinful woman who enters shockingly, by the way, into a Pharisee's home and demonstrates an act of gratitude and repentance and brokenness and joy all over who Jesus is and what he has done for her. So our message today is going to center around the gift of God's grace. And I want us to first see the need for grace. Our need for grace. Then I want us to notice the source of grace. Then the effect of grace. But let's not forget the costliness of grace. The costliness of grace. Grace isn't cheap. So first the need for grace. What Simon doesn't see, but what the sinful woman so clearly sees, is that she is a sinner and she desperately needs forgiveness and grace. This comes out in the parable that Jesus tells. And it comes out in the act of brokenness and penitence that she displays uh, here publicly before whoever happens to be in the Pharisee's home. I think that's one reason why Luke in verse 37 wants us to behold this. As he has said earlier at the birth of Christ, Behold, what did the angel say? We bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David is born for you a Savior. So we behold this woman comes into the Pharisee's home, and this is, this is shocking. This would have made a scene. There was a great distance between the Pharisees who prided themselves on being exclusive and separate, and a sinner like who was certainly from and participated in a life on the wrong side of the tracks. But she recognizes her need for grace because she is aware of her sinfulness. 
And point blank, Luke describes her and identifies her as a woman who was a sinner. What is a sinner? A sinner is someone who's missed the mark. A sinner is someone who has transgressed God's boundaries, God's commands. A sinner is someone who has bended, to borrow the, uh, the, the, the term for sin called iniquity, bent what was straight. So through God's grace, she began to see that she had missed God's mark. She had bent what was meant to be straight, and she's crossed the boundaries. She knew that personally, and everyone around her knew that uh, about her. She was branded and labeled a sinner. In fact, that's what Simon says. Oh, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was, because she's a, she's a great sinner. But it was God's grace that enabled her to see her condition that drove her to seek Christ. Like the law is our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. She's aware of her sinfulness. She's aware of her brokenness. She's aware of her need. And the evidence is all around us, as it was all around her, of our particular need. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. I love what Bonhoeffer said in the book that we're reading on Wednesday nights together, Life Together, he said, and I'll just read the quote and and re-highlight it for the Wednesday nighters. God's grace will very quickly shatter our dreams of the ideal self and self-righteousness. And surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be, listen, overwhelmed, by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. It is a blessing to come to the end of yourself and to realize the true nature of your condition, that you are a debtor and you cannot pay, that you're bound, that you're outcast, that you're outside, that you're dead, that you're lost, that you're impure, that there is shame and guilt deserving wrath, that you're separated from God and others, that you're impure and unclean and cursed. As Ian said a couple of weeks ago, and as I talked to him, Ian, why do we sin? He says, because we're impure. God had given him the awareness of, of his sinfulness and what that means. Have you come to that point? Where you recognize as well that you are a great sinner. That when you study this parable that Jesus talks about within this, that you're the sinner who owes 500 denarii (laughs) and that you have no way to repay. A holy and just God. Sometimes circumstances will drive us to see this. In Jonah, you'll read that Jonah had to be thrown overboard because God had sent a huge storm. And the storm continued to rage and increase. And the sailors on this ship who did not know the Lord asked, what in the world's going on? And eventually they pinpointed Jonah. Jonah's a rebel. He's running from God. He's going his own way. What can stop the storm from raging? And the conclusion was, throw the man overboard. (laughs) Who is the rebel? And they throw Jonah overboard. And the sea stops its raging. And in the providence of God, what happens? A whale swallows Jonah. There Jonah was, basically having a funeral and later a wedding. He had to die to himself to be reunited with God. So too in our lives, the best thing sometimes that could ever happen to us is us to come to face-to-face confronted with our own condition. This circumstances, other people. I I thought of a time when I was a child. I've told you this story before. In fact, I've told you most of my stories before. When I was younger, my brother and I walked into a a restaurant in Franklin, and while we were finishing our meal, we took it upon ourselves to bend the silverware. (laughs) We thought it was real cute. Hey, look at this fork. (laughs) Look at this spoon. (laughs) We put it on our plate. We walked out. A few weeks later, when we went back to the restaurant, we were confronted as the owner of the place set before us what we had been. You guys remember this? Uh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to crawl under the table. 
There's a weight of our iniquity, the bending of what should be straight right before us. And she forgave us, but she wanted us to see the true nature of our condition, that we were fallen rebels from birth. God through circumstances, God through other people. Bonhoeffer says, if you're fortunate, God will bring you to a disillusionment with yourself that will send you running to Christ. Whatever happened, she felt that. G. Campbell Morgan believes, because Matthew 11 teaches this, that following the scene where Jesus describes the ministry of John the Baptist and his ministry. In Matthew 11, he followed up that message with that great invitation, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Morgan believes that this sinful woman heard that invitation and went to Christ. And that the scene we have of her expressing her love and her gratitude and her brokenness and her worship is an overflow of the the release and the rest and the joy he was giving to her as she felt the weight of her guilt being lifted by the invitation and the grace of Christ. But first, first we've got to see the need for grace. If we don't see the need, we will never attend the, own, our, the funeral for our own self-righteousness. We will never cry. We will never mourn. We will never weep. We will never do what she does if God doesn't open our eyes graciously so that we can see how desperately we need His grace and His salvation. It is the kindness of God that will lead you to repentance. And God's kindness had brought her to a house that she would have never gone to. A Pharisee's house was the last place you would go if you were a sinful woman. But the difference was, what was the difference? Jesus was there. Which brings me to point number two. This story highlights the need that we have for grace. But it also clearly shows us the source of grace is Jesus. And that's been Luke's theme all along, is that here comes one who is the Savior for the sins of the world. So in verse 41, there is a moneylender who graciously forgives. A moneylender who graciously forgives. If I have great debt, where can I go to get rid of the debt? Well, Luke sends us all straight to Christ. He is the source of grace for our great need. I'm a great sinner, but we have a great Savior. Simon, on the other hand, is there to scrutinize and evaluate, not to worship, not to receive. He does not see his guilt, therefore he's not even looking for a Savior. Because he doesn't see his need for grace, he's not even looking for a source of grace. So let's back up a little bit and think about what it means to be Simon the Pharisee. He has suppressed the truth about himself in unrighteousness. He's delusional. As the kid I was playing basketball, basketball with to me, he said one time, I don't need your charity. <laughs> he didn't need anyone's charity or grace. He's self-secure. To me, this is just me, he comes across as a bit smug, doesn't he? Look at verse 40. Say it, teacher. I'm ready for anything you got. There are 28 references to the Pharisees in Luke's gospel, and every single one of them are hostile. They always seem to have a hostile attitude towards Christ. So we reason from this that the Pharisees' invitation to Jesus wasn't out of curiosity, it wasn't out of need, it was mainly out of I want to be hostile to him because he is a threat to us 
It wasn't an attitude of humility. It wasn't an attitude of longing. Jesus can read his thoughts. Did you notice that? (laughs) He is intimately acquainted with all our ways. And where the Pharisee is speculating about Jesus and coming to the wrong conclusion, oh, he's no prophet. Look at his interaction with this woman. If he knew her, he's no prophet. What does Jesus know? He knows exactly what he's thinking. Well, if God knows us intimately, as we've said before, that is both comforting, it's also convicting. So Jesus is inside his heart, he's inside his mind, he's inside his head, and that leads him to share this parable. But Christ clearly is the source of grace. What Simon doesn't see, the sinful woman does see. And she sees in Christ exactly the person that God has sent to pay her debt. I want to move on to the third point because within that I'm going to compare and contrast the responses that Simon gave, his sins of omission, and the response she gave, which was a response of love and gratitude and joy over the fact that she had been forgiven. What is the effect of grace? I think one of the things that this story really drives home for me and and, and hopefully for all of us is the fact that the one who is forgiven much will love much. So if you have a sense of great debt and great need and then God eliminates or pays or erases or removes that debt, then you're going to rejoice. You're going to love what has happened, and you're going to love who has made it happen. Let's just take from a financial standpoint, what if we figured out a way to eliminate the debt of everybody sitting here in this room? And I mean your real financial debt, your mortgage, credit card debt, whatever debt you may have. Let's say we had a huge money lender with billions of dollars, and said, everybody at Glenlock Baptist Church, we're going to clear away your financial debt. Who would be the happiest people in the room? The people who owed the most money. In fact, there might be some people in the room that were disappointed in that, man, I went through that Dave Ramsey thing, and I paid off all my debt. (laughs) Should have waited, right? (laughs) Didn't know this was coming. Simon the Pharisee gets it right. Man, the one who's forgiven most will love most. And that's why she gives this lavish, uh, outspoken, unashamed response to Christ is that she loves him because she knows what's happened. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And let's be honest, Simon didn't express any love because he didn't have any need. Now he wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have said like most people say, well, I'm, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't know that I'm a great sinner. And that makes all the difference. I entered your house. She came to someone else's house. You gave me no water. She wet my feet with her tears. You gave me no kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing me. You did not anoint my head with oil. She anointed my feet with perfume. She loves much because she has been forgiven much. And this is a huge principle in human relationships. You want other people to love you? Forgive them. I don't know about you, but any time in my life when I've gone before people and they've forgiven me, man, my love for them has increased. Thank you. My respect and reverence for them has increased. Thank you. I've told you before, my dad forced me to apologize one time to a coach when I was younger. We had broken some team rules. I apologized to that coach. I was terrified of that coach. And I dreaded for days going to him. Dad says, you're going to go. Have you gone yet? You're going to go. Have you apologized to him yet? You're going to go. 
So finally I picked a day as my deadline and I went. I said, Coach, I'm sorry. That coach put his arm around me. He says, son, he says, it's okay. He says, I forgive you. He says, I respect you for coming. I still had to run suicides. The consequences were not erased. <laughs> In fact, we had run the suicides before any of this ever happened. But my love and my respect for that man went through the roof after he graciously forgave and accepted my apology. So on a human level, we know that. If you're forgiven much, you, you love much. So, so let's borrow the marriage illustration. A marriage is a union of two good forgivers. It just increases the love over time. But think about this in relationship to God. What has God forgiven? He's forgiven the worst in us. Therefore, we go to Him and, exp- and live a life of love and service and joy because of what He has done for us in Christ. This is all the effect of grace. Grace has a transforming effect. And that I notice, and I'll just point out three things in this particular story. She gets the experience of love both from Christ and that she gives to Christ. And he values that. In fact, it's not the greatest commandment to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Where does the power and the strength to do that come from? It comes from realizing that God, the great uh, money lender, has forgiven us a great debt. So we get the wedding, we get the marriage. Christians are not, what's the bumper sticker say? We're not perfect, we're just forgiven. We're much more than just forgiven. We are brought near to God and placed in a love relationship. So we're more than just forgiven. We are now loved and we're giving love. That's the effect of grace is love. It increases love. Another thing that I notice here is that we also get assurance of forgiveness. The effect of grace is not just the expression of love, it's the assurance of forgiveness. He says it twice. Her sins which are many are forgiven, verse 47. Your sins are forgiven, verse 48. Why do you think he repeats the truth that her sins are already forgiven? Why does he say that? For assurance. For confirmation. Why do you think we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day? For assurance. Confirmation for joy, for love, for service. Your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven by God. Get assurance. Look at the last one, the experience of peace. Look at verse 50. What a benediction, what a send-off. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. I was talking to Jeff Rude earlier this week because he puts the verse out on the sign. And Jeff called me and we were talking about actually the, the baptistry and getting that ready for Ian's baptism. And Jeff said, you know, I really like that verse on the sign that you told me to put up. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He says, when, when I die, he says, that's something that could be said about me. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a benediction at the end of life. That God has saved us by grace through faith. And we can go, we can go home in peace. Because we have peace with God. Through what Christ has done. But then I had the same thought. You know that not only is that a a departing benediction for the end of life. That's a daily thing, isn't it? We can go about life in peace. We can go in peace this morning from here. We can go in peace to Monday. We can go in peace to Tuesday through Saturday. We can be going in peace because now I'm at peace with God. And because I've got peace with God, I can be at peace with myself. And now finally at peace with myself, I can be at peace with others. I think that's what the sinful woman has found. She has found the peace that comes through Christ. 
And that gave her the boldness and the courage to come into such a scene and make a scene, cause a scene over her love for Jesus. Look at the effect of grace. Which of them will love him more? So who dances best at the wedding? (laughs) Going back to Jesus and John the Baptist. Who sings the loudest? Who's the happiest? The ones who are most in love. And who are the ones who are most in love? The ones who have come and come to the end of themselves. <laughs> this woman loves him greatly because she, to borrow some of the analogy, has gone from worst to first, from the least to the greatest. From despised and shamed and rejected to brought near to God through Christ. We were at Nate Hanley's luncheon. Todd and Olivia back there and I guess Nate's on his trip. And a few of us were sitting around the table. And we were, I don't know what got us on this. We were talking about the Atlanta Braves. And we were reminding ourselves of the season the Braves went from worst to first. Y'all remember that? And I suffered as a Braves fan through the 70s and 80s. I never thought I'd live to see it. The Braves in the World Series. And I remember when that happened. We were so excited because we had been so bad for so long. Now we were literally dancing in the streets with strangers. Why? Because when you're low and you're lifted up, oh, there's cause to dance. There's cause to rejoice. There's cause to love. Who enjoys summer the most? The teachers. (laughs) I could go on and on, and you know that. The effect of grace, therefore of being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And not just peace, but love and joy and peace and gentleness. All the fruit of the Spirit comes from the effect of grace. But I've got to mention this before we close. Because we've got the need for grace. We've got the source. We've got the effect. But let's not forget the cost of grace. There's a cost to grace. And here on Memorial Day weekend, let's be reminded of the cost, the sacrifice, of the blessings that we enjoy daily as citizens of where we live. A great price has been paid. And Christians of all people ought to know, John 15, greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for others, for his friends. But we have this on a greater, more theological level and what God has done for us. So let's ask the question, what happened to the debt? What happened to the debt that the money lender just erased? Because 500 days wage, that's a lot of money. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my dad says money doesn't what? It doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> There's no free lunch. Somebody, somewhere has to pay. And money's valuable. As we talk about how some of us do, it's decreasing in its value. Somebody always has to pay. Well, who in this particular scenario absorbed the debt? And that's what the people standing around watching this scene unfold, that's what they're saying. Who can forgive sin? Because you can't just say sins are forgiven and sins be forgiven. I mean, there's real pain, there's real hurt, there's real sorrow. Some injustice was done. Like you just can't speak forgiveness and everything be okay. As one of my kids says, sorry doesn't count for own purposes. (laughs) You can't just say it. Like there's got to be something that absorbs the debt. And here's the gospel. It's the verse Jeff Rood read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. God sent Christ to die for sins, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. 
So in this particular saying, how can Jesus say to the woman, your sins are forgiven? You know how he says it? Because he knows that he is going to die on a cross for her sins. He is going to pay the debt. He is going to absorb the wrath that her sins and my sins and your sins, he is going to absorb in, the Bible says this, in his body on the tree, he was going to be the great money lender who came down and he absorbed the debt. Anytime you forgive somebody, you absorb the debt. You take it on yourself. And God gives you the grace and strength to do that. But who's done that for us? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is this man who can just forgive sins like that? Oh, he's much more than a prophet. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray that God would show us all that. Father, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for our time in worship. Thank you for the truths which we find in Luke chapter 7 that... Speak of your grace. Thank you for the assurance we have in Christ. The peace we have in Christ. The ability to receive and give love through Christ. All of that is here. And we pray that unlike Simon the Pharisee, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to feel. To be in touch with what you're doing, what you're saying to us through your word. So may we just spend time now praying and thinking and um, appropriating into our hearts and minds what we've learned so that we can go out of here ready to be peaceful and loving and evangelistic and servant-minded and oriented, all empowered by what you've done for us and that you have forgiven us a great debt which we could not pay for all we had to offer was brokenness and strife, but you're making something beautiful of our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is certainly open, and I'm here uh, to talk with you about any decisions or commitments or needs that you have as Catherine sings. You pray and you spend time with the Lord uh, during the next few moments.
Amen. Thank you, Catherine. Hey, let's stand for our benediction. We are going to present Ian a Bible, but I bet he's in children's church, isn't he? Okay, we'll make plans to do that on another Sunday, okay? Um, one thing I did want us to know for prayer requests, say, Todd Hanley, we're praying for you and your family. Todd's father, Tommy Hanley, passed away this week. Todd, we love you. We were... Uh, Sorry to hear about your dad, and I've enjoyed the opportunity to get to see him a few times here. So uh, y'all be in prayer for Todd and Olivia and their family. Uh, we'll let details be known later, I guess, Todd. Is that okay? Any other prayer requests? Since I didn't do announcements, we didn't do that earlier. Um, any particular prayer requests that we need to let our church family know about besides that one? We mentioned Crystal last Sunday, and she was here this Sunday, and she's feeling a lot better. So yeah, that's a praise um, for a prayer last week. Crystal ended up, there is a solution, and they're, they're, they're working on the solution. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, they were here at 9. Um, any other word? Don't forget, no, no, no services tonight. Uh, enjoy your, the rest of the day with your family and, and, and the weekend. Uh, we're grateful for those who served in our country and have passed and uh, grateful for those who continue to serve. So we want to honor, honor those folks with our, with our thoughts and our, our prayers. So, Catherine, why don't you close us, please? We're going to close with family of God together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You have a wonderful week. That time went much better than the first one. <laughs>